This is the Most Mobile Podcast, connecting you with success people and their stories. To be great, you need to learn from the greats. So sit back and listen to those who have walked the path of success. I'm all yours, sir. How can I help? Well, I just want to say welcome to the Most Mobile Podcast, which is the show about success people and their stories. Um, today I'm just going to introduce you as Rob Moore, who is an online entrepreneur, self-made multimillionaire, speaker, author, podcast host, property investor, and coach by trade. It's quite an extensive list of skills you have there, Rob. Uh, yeah. now, you see a lot of people online that label themselves with all of these, these skills, but uh, I can see you clearly back them up. Do you, do you think this is key to obviously branding and uh, uh, attracting the right clients? Uh, I can't speak for everyone, but uh, I'm, I guess where I've found my way in life is I'm a bit of a generalist. So I, I wouldn't say I'm the best in the world at anything. I wouldn't say I'm in the top 0.1% at anything. I don't think I'm not too bad or pretty good. I mean, I've written a lot of books. My podcast got you know, a few million subscriptions. My companies do all right. Um, one of my companies turns over or will turn over £20 million this year, give or take. So I'm not the best at any of those in the whole world, but I'm doing kind of okay at all of them. So I guess you could say I'm a generalist specialist. Uh, and I do, I do admire people who are really great at one thing. I've just tried to find my way. Um, I, I believe I am all those things that you said to me, and I feel confident that I, I do those quite well. can't speak for anyone else in terms of how they brand themselves. I think it's vital when you brand yourself that um, – you walk the walk. And look, if you've got a podcast, you can call yourself a podcaster. If you've written a book, you can call yourself an author. I've written 14 books now. Um, I've got quite a few million subscriptions to my podcast across the 192 countries. So I feel pretty confident, you know, that I can call myself those things. Uh, yeah, but I, I tend not to focus on too much on whatever other people call themselves, saying that they do. Should really try and focus on what I can do and how I can help people. Yeah, I think it's even for myself, I think I called myself an expert in an area before I was. It's kind of like a psychological thing to help me get over that obstacle. So I think it's, uh, it's quite important to do that. But obviously, it can reflect negatively on you if you, you know, you're a social media expert with 500 followers or something like that. Yeah, I think we're expert. That's the thing, isn't it? I definitely do not call myself an expert. I don't really like that word. I feel like that word should be bestowed upon you by people who believe you are rather than put on yourself because I don't feel like I'm for me an expert is someone who's the best at the thing you know I, I feel like I'm doing all right on social media got plenty of following and probably one of the most active and influential in the UK on social media um, in, a, in the non-celebrity world anyway but I definitely don't call myself an expert I don't see myself as an expert um, I don't I think you need to use that word I think a lot of people perceive you need to use expert guru you know, whatever. Hey, if people want to say that I'm influencer, you're never going to hear me call myself those things. But maybe that, that might be linked um, us to my own insecurities. Maybe. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of labels out there. But obviously, you're an entrepreneur by trade, but you've turned yourself into an online entrepreneur. Is this, is this something that sort of happened naturally, or did you just sort of have one of them sort of eureka moments and think, oh, I need to start putting my content out there? Yeah, I, I, like... I would call myself an entrepreneur. 
because I believe the definition of an entrepreneur is someone who takes uh, risk to set up their own business for the purpose of profit. And I would say that the difference between an entrepreneur and a business owner is an entrepreneur might do that in more than one business model, like multiple, uh, and I've definitely done that. I mean, I don't really call myself an online entrepreneur per se, but I mean, the reason I embrace social media and you know, online, e-commerce, et cetera, is just because that's where most of your customers are nowadays. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course. If, if I could set up a, a physical shop in Peterborough and the whole world would come into my shop and travel 6,000 miles on the plane to come into my shop, I might have a shop. But I'm just, I think it's really important business. You go where your customers, clients, your followers, your fans, where, where they are. And Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, podcasting, Twitter, LinkedIn, that's where they all are. So I really just follow the demand and the, and leverage the technology um, of the marketplace. I mean, I never had any vision when I wrote my books to do audio versions. In fact, sitting in the studio, uh, when I recorded Money, it took me a whole week, a whole week, like eight in the morning till six and a whole week to read that book. I didn't like doing that. That was a hard thing to do. Mm. Um, but I do it because now as many people listen to my audio books as they do read them. So I'm just reacting to the demand in the marketplace. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's what you should do. Yeah, it seems like the best sort of approach is the way to lock yourself away from all distractions and get it, get something done um, fully completed, and then you've got something to put out there. Um, but I've also, I've noticed that you're extremely smart when it comes to networking. Um, you not only know how to build the right connections, but you also know how to build the right relationships with these with these people. Um, do you think this is obviously key to your success and where you're at now? I think your relationships with people is everything. Because I don't believe there are many businesses, if anywhere, you, you, you can get away with not having any relationships. Even B2B, and even if you're only like one or two suppliers, you've still got to maintain the relationships with those suppliers. I think with social media and the transparency of it, anyone can just go and complain about your company on social media, just like that. So I think relationships with people now, even if it is via online, I think that's more important than ever. And um, you know, I like people and I want to have a good time with people and I want to wake up and enjoy my day and enjoy my business. And I actually really enjoy meeting inspiring people and helping them. And it's, it happens as well that I seem to make more money when I do that well. Um, yeah, I think it's vital. And um, yeah, I've met some amazing people in my life, most in the last sort of five years, really, um, as my business has become more successful. Mm. I think it's vital, yeah. So what would you say, obviously you see a lot of bad relationship building sort of techniques and stuff online. What would you say is one of the, you know, the worst things that people generally do? And, you know, what, on the flip side of that, what is the, the best way to, to build a relationship with someone? Okay, so I think some faux pas. You can imagine I, I get a lot of, I get about 600 messages a day on my socials. I get more than that on my emails per day. So, um, you know, a, a direct pitch to you, without taking the time to know you, and it's obvious that they don't, and it's a copy-paste, I'd say that's one no-no. I would say asking you to promote their stuff on your socials when they don't even know you, because imagine I've built this community up over the last 10 years and I've got a good relationship. One bad promotion to them of someone could ruin my brand. So that's another thing that they do, they ask too much. I mean, I've got a lot of friends now who are very famous, um, and, I know in the future that could lead to things for us, but I'm not going to ask. I'm going to wait and I'm going to build the relationship and um, take my time. I think sometimes we're all in a bit of a rush, aren't we, to go out there and do business. You know, all this hustle. Sometimes hustling is stupid mm. because be patient rather than persistent or annoyingly persistent. 
Um, I think, you know, just going into social media groups and pitching without building relationships, things are no-no. I think that you should uh, look to help first rather than, you know, make demands of people. I think getting into online fights and arguments and debates and trolling people and being very critical of what others do, I think that's another mistake. A lot of people in marketing, they, what they do for their marketing is belittle everyone else. Oh, well, they do this badly and they do this badly and oh, I'm different. You know, they use, uh, it's almost like moral high ground marketing. Can't stand that. Mm. Focus on your own game and what you do. So I'd say they're the five or six mistakes I see with us. And I think the opposite of those, they're probably what's good. Help before you ask for anything. Focus on your own game and how you can help your clients rather than criticizing everyone else. Treat people how you'd like to be treated. Think a bit more about the long term of building relationships. Yeah, I'd say there's some things that you can do well. Mm. So you obviously, you obviously apply this and, and daily to your life uh, and you know how to do it well. Is this a service that you provide for other cu- uh, customers or clients? How right. to build the right connections, how to build the right relationships with them? Or is this okay. something you do for yourself? Yeah, um, I don't have a product, no, that helps people sort of with connections and relationships. Um, for me, that's just a, a, a skill in business that's one of the many skills that's required, like sales, like marketing, like finance, whatever. Um, and also, I think it's important to say I've probably made some mistakes over the years, Russ. I'm not perfect at this. I think yeah, of course. You know, we're all a, a, a work in progress, a, a canvas that's not quite finished. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always trying to improve in that area, and I have a bad day and lose my rag. Much less now than I used to, um, but no, it's not. It's not actually a service we provide. And now you've got my cogs turning. Like you asked it like in a way that maybe I should. I mean, we do a lot of training. So hey, look, if the demand was there and people were asking for it a lot, I, I would certainly consider it. Yeah, it's only because it's saying it sort of rings true to me. Really, I kind of feel that I know how to get the connections. Um, some of the relationships have, have you know become quite fruitful and quite close. Um, but I think there's a lot of key people out there that I could probably bring closer to me um, and get a lot better of a relationship with them as well. Um, and then obviously things, you know, blossom out of that. Um, yeah. So it's definitely something that, you know, I'd be interested in. Um, so just getting onto um, your history of the, your past, basically you worked in property investment company before you set up Progressive Property in 2007. Do you think that was a point in your life where if you didn't go out on your own, that's like a key pinnacle part. If you didn't decide to say, oh, no, I'm gonna, I know I've got the knowledge and the skills to, to do that, would your life have been much different? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to look back over what looked like crossroad moments, but retrospectively and argue that case, I think, I mean, there was two main, I would, I would say, pivotal moments. One was when I went from working in my dad's pub to being an artist. And then the other one was when I went from an artist to, you know, getting this job in this property company and being in property. And, and artists, in a way, was my stepping stone because it got me working for myself. And, you know, I didn't make a great go of being an artist. I didn't make much money at all. But I always worked for my parents until I was 26. And being an artist, I failed at it as a vocation, but it, I learned to work for myself. And then I worked, when I worked for this property company, I didn't actually work for myself. I went back to working for someone else. But I felt like I was getting knowledge, experience, mentorship, um, all with the safety net of earning a salary, mm. one day being able to run my own business again. Um, 
yeah, when I left that company, I'd only been there about a year. I met my business partner just before that, and we worked together. Yeah, I mean, that was like a really, you know, like if you imagine you could work for Steve Jobs or, you know, if you could work, um, you know, with Jeff Bezos, how much you would learn working from those. Mm-hmm. Whilst I didn't work for a famous person, I worked in a company where Mark and I learned to source property, sort of semi-develop really relationships with brokers, agents. You know, we were selling properties to clients. So we learned about building the client relationship and the sales element. I, I, it was like it was like a university degree, mm. all condensed into less than a year. So great experience. Some great but skills there. It's funny you say, oh, you would have thought that the property investing would have been the defining moment. But you're saying it's before that when you was an artist. Yeah, because yeah, before I didn't really have the courage to work for myself, even though I knew I wanted to. And I, was, I remained under the safety of working for my parents in their pub. And art gave me the courage to work for myself. But I just didn't make a success of it financially. But that was the proof I needed to work for myself, which I think looking back, Russ, I, I clearly always wanted to do that. Mm. Just sometimes get lost. Yeah, it's just it is, as you said, it is having the courage, isn't it? And the, you know, the mindset to go, I'm going to take that leap of faith and go for it. Yeah, do you know what? I think it's more mindset than courage. I think that's a, I think people call it courage, and I get it. But there's not that much risk to try and work on your own. Mm. Because if it don't work out, you can always go back and get a job. And anyone can, you know, spend a few months or a couple of years cutting their expenses. Of course, if you're 45 and you've got two kids and they're at private school and you've got an expensive house, that's more of a risk. But you can do evenings and weekends. Just take a bit more time. So for me, I think we, we, we sometimes overplay the courage required. I think mindset is right. I think it's like the mindset to work for myself. Do I want to? Yes. Okay, so what do I need to do to make it happen? All right, do I need to quit my job and make a go of it full-time or do I need to do it part-time evenings and weekends and set a plan for the next two years and then once I've replaced the income, then move over across? And, you know, like when I went, when I did my art, I just left my dad's pub. I had to because I fell out with my dad a little bit and I just had to do it. So I was forced to do it. And that sometimes is useful because you've got no other choice. And then when I went into working in the property company, uh, a few months in when I realized, you know what, we've got to do this on our own. Mark and I were buying properties evenings and weekends. So I kind of done it like quit and go in full time or do it part time until such point as you're ready. I've done it both ways and both ways work, they're just different. Cool. So um, obviously from getting into the property game, you then organised the property super conferences between 2010 and 2013 with some amazing guest speakers like Lord Adam Sugar, Bob Geldof, James Kahn, uh, Frank Bruno, Karen Brady. Um, what kind of, hosting those kind of events, do you think that's also another catalyst that has got you in with the right people? Because even, even though you're the host, you must still have picked up a lot of golden nuggets along the way just from having a few moments with these people. Yeah. So one of the great things about being a podcast host, as I'm sure you'll relate to, is you get the best seat in the house and you get to learn from the guests you're interviewing when you, know, you feel like, okay, I'm doing this for my listeners, but you're doing it yourself. You can't, you can't ask questions to them for the listeners and not get benefit yourself. And I always pop the unselfish question in there, i.e. one I need answering. And I think that's really important. And I kind of think that's okay because I'm the podcast host. And so, yeah, I've learned so much from James Kahn. Alan Sugar, Grant Cardone, Andreas Paniotto, you know, various other maybe not so famous billionaires, multimillionaires, 
celebrities, yeah. And, um, it, you know, I always try and take something. I try and learn something from everyone I meet. And I think if you have an open mind that no matter whether you believe they're above you, below you, or equal to you, which in reality, no one's above you, below you, or equal to you. They only are in a certain area of life. Like a billionaire is above you in money, but they might not be as fit or as healthy as you, or they may not know as much about your chosen profession as you. So with that mindset, you can always learn something from someone. I'm trying my best to listen more than talk and always learn something from someone. Definitely. And that's a, mind, that's a mindset as well. Yeah. Uh, so have you got any sort of celebrity stories that stuck with you from over the years, ones you kind of sort of wake up the next morning and sort of pinch yourself and think, I can't, I can't believe that's actually happened? Yeah, I have. Um, I've got quite a lot. Um, <laughs> but some of them I probably can't tell you. But the one I can tell you is very recent. So I've become very good friends with Kevin Clifton, who's one of the biggest celebrities in the UK right now. He's been going through a lot of um, bad media coverage. They're after him. Um, I speak to him regularly about it. He hates it. A lot of it is not fair, and most of it is lies, and they make stories up. And um, he, get, he gave me um, tickets to go and see his show, Burn the Floor, which he's doing at the moment. He's touring. And um, he, he, he's very kind. He gives me tickets to go to his events, and then we hang out backstage and all that kind of stuff. And so we were hanging out backstage, and we were there with his current girlfriend, Stacey Dooley, who's obviously hugely famous as well. They've won Strictly Come Dancing. Um, and the paparazzi were everywhere, all around all the building, all around the um, various exits and entrance and fire exits, waiting to get the first photo of them together to try and out that in the media. Uh, Kevin and Stacey um, didn't want that to happen um, because they felt that they wanted to control the, 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 the narrative of them being together. Um, so I'm fortunate enough to have quite a lot of pretty fast cars and the, the car I took there was a Porsche Panamera Turbo S 0-60 in 3.3 seconds but it's a family car uh, and so Kev was like can you get us out of here Rob and I was like yeah alright let's do it so I got well, I went out and sort of ran past them and got into the car and reversed it right to the back of the fire escape literally so you could only just open the door they came out with coats over their heads got in the car the paparazzi started coming after us and I won't tell you the speeds at which I was going, but obviously I went really fast from 0 to 70 um, and we managed to escape them on this sort of a bit of a chase, really. Uh, and for probably three days afterwards, everyone was like, how did you get out of that building? How did you escape the paparazzi? Even the paparazzi were like, how did you escape us? We were there the whole time. And I was basically their, their driver getaway. So, yeah, that's one of them. Yeah, it's like a real sort of James Bond scene. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're not... You're not uh... You've obviously driven fast on a previous case. I haven't even really broke this down, but I can remember reading it about you crashing a Ferrari. Is that all right? Yeah, I, had, I bought a 458 Spider. I'd had it for five days. Um, and my son had just got a hole in one. He's a very good young golfer. He's, he actually is the youngest person that's ever lived to get a hole in one, but it's unofficial because I haven't got it on video. Um, and I was just feeling quite high. And um, basically, with cars like Ferraris, with ceramic brakes, no one believes me, but I actually have a Formula One driver who's corroborated this. Um, they, they need serious warming up, these brakes. And the car, the car had been warmed up very much, and I was getting a bit excited. Now, I wasn't breaking the speed limit, but I was going around the corner fairly fast, and it just went in a straight line, understeer, straight through, about 30 yards of bushes, massive bushes. I'm, I very narrowly missed a lamppost. Uh, and I crashed, it into, I crashed it into a building, a big building, right into the building, the side of the building. Um, and I 
um, the car was in bits. It just it was actually a £105,000 repair bill. Um, and randomly, that building is News International, where they have the sun, yes. the mirror. So, yeah, within an hour and a half, all the paparazzi were at my offices wanting to get a full story on this. Uh, yeah, and they, they got a full story on that. Last um, time to find. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I've got loads of trolling on Daily Mail online. <laughs> loads. <clears throat> Oh, Ferrari can't even drive it. Yeah, go with that. Well, if you're going to crash, it's a good place to crash, I must admit. Yeah, I um, crashed in style, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was doing a bit of research on my guest, but one of the things that really that really stood out for me, it's kind of blew me away a little bit, is uh, you performed a 46-hour and 39-minute speech on business advice and broke the Guinness World Records uh, for the longest speech in 2014. Yeah. Um, I can I find it difficult to talk for longer than 20 minutes, half an hour. Uh, and to meet someone that could talk longer than my wife is quite amazing, I must admit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so what kind of, what did you, you know, it's insane. I've got so many questions about that. You know, what, what did you cover? You know, where was it? Uh, what kind of audience was it in front of? Or? Yeah. So, yeah, I, um, first off, broke the individual speech marathon, which was that one. Then I broke the team speech um, So it was on property, business, and personal development. And uh, I definitely felt like by that time I had enough content to cover, and I did. But towards the end, it was pretty difficult because that's a lot of material. Uh, we did it. We held it in Peterborough. We raised thirty thousand pounds for a charity when we did it. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to do something a bit different, and um, maybe like your wife, I don't find talking very difficult. So it, it was, um, but it definitely pushed me. I lost my voice through the middle of the night on the second day. I started having out of body visions and experiences. It was not easy. I, I kind of thought, oh, well, I speak, you know, I've, been, I've done 1,300, 1,400 speeches, and I've done them for a long time. I've, I run three-day courses, and I thought, oh, I can get this done. But, you know, when you, you go all through the night, you don't have breaks, and you don't have sleep. No, definitely. Crazy. Yeah, it was, it was intense. Um, lots, but, of, lots, of, lots of coffee, was it? Or No, I, I, had, I normally have two coffees a day, and I started with two coffees on the first day. But I just knew I couldn't drink coffee because I was, you know, so dehydrated, and so I, I didn't end up having any more coffee. I thought it would just maybe give me a migraine or something. Mm. So I did, but yeah, mm. yeah. So the team, the team uh, event you also broke in two thousand sixteen that raised one hundred and fifteen thousand pounds for Sue Ryder Thoughtful Hospice, which is you know a massive achievement in itself. Yeah, we were very proud of that. Yeah, and yeah we did. Awesome. There's some people who've broken the team speech marathon, and they do like twenty minutes each, and there's like two hundred of them. But we wanted to make it a bit more hardcore, so we did like more than a day each non-stop. So I went and did another, I think I did a 30-hour stint when mm. it was all back. Um, yeah. So um, obviously before the artist period growing up, do you think there was anything that sort of inspired you or affected you in a way that was, that's actually led you to where you are now? Yeah, I'd say two things. I think my dad being an entrepreneur... Um, Having his ups and downs for us, so not always successful, not always failing. Uh, and he kind of instilled in me some values of selling and, you know, like the work ethic from a very young age, like six years old. Uh, so that was a big influence on my life. Uh, and then also um, I was a really overweight kid. I was the fattest kid in my year. Really? I hated it. I hated it, hated it, hated it, hated it. And I begged my mum and dad to get me out of school for like two years. Um, that I boarded, so every all the weekends I'd find my mum crying my eyes out, but not wanting her to tell my dad. Um, 
And in the end, they finally relented. And part of it was because we moved to a different city. We moved from sort of near Barrison Edmonds to near Ely. And there was a private school in Ely because they wanted to put me through private school. And in the summer holidays, I lost on my way. I lost uh, three stone in eight weeks. Um, and despite the fact that the, the bullying stopped and the teasing stopped and the, and the fact that I was never noticed by people or girls, that, that all changed. But still inside, I, I had the need to be liked. I had the need to prove myself to the world. And all those emotions kind of still there. So I still have a need to prove myself to the world. I don't think I've done enough yet to feel like I'm not still that sort of overweight kid who needs to prove himself. And that's quite a motivator for me and a driver. And, you know, for probably 20 years, I like beat myself up about that feeling like I was a bad person, a lame person, a weak person. Mm. Now I realize that we're all driven by something and that drives me still. And some of those emotions are still there. And obviously, I'm not overweight anymore. And I don't get teased in that way. And that's great. But, you know, I have critics. And I have, I have just new problems, just different problems. Uh, but, yeah, I need, to, I need the world to see what I've got. And know that that's linked to pain as well as, you know, the desire for success. But that also drives me to want to help people and care for people and do a good job and have a good reputation. So there's upsides to it. And I'm just sort of trying to everyday wrestle with that and make it make it good yeah i totally agree with that i mean obviously you you being overweight and having those issues and the the, the mental sort of self-torture and then losing the weight it's probably done wonders for your confidence as well and, and helped you grow so it's probably when you look back it's a, a blessing i think it is i mean look if i didn't have that need to prove now i probably just would settle so that's a big upside and it makes me care about people and how people feel more because I cared how people felt about me more. So, yeah, that's definitely, there are lots of upsides. I mean, you know, people say, don't they, you know, everything you've experienced in life makes you who you are. And I know it's a bit kind of a common thing, but it is very true. Definitely. Um, moving forward on to your books, um, I've only got eight books down. You were telling me you've got 14. Uh, a lot of the earlier books are property-related um, industry books uh make cash in property market in 2000 uh, property market crash in 2007 um got multiple streams of property income in 2013 uh, but there's a couple of books obviously i'm not in the property game the, the more i'm in these this sort of environment i feel like i've missed a trick by not getting into it um it, there seems to be a bit of a link with people that, that make a lot of wealth and property um it, it seems like a recurring trend to me but the two of the books that grab my sort of attention our life leverage, how to get more done in less time, outsourcing everything and create your ideal mobile lifestyle. As for me, it just it doesn't seem like there's simply enough time in the day where we all have, have the same amount of hours. Yeah. Um, and the set and your seventh book, um, no, money, know more, make more and give more. Uh, money is kind of like an area that for those who don't have it, they're fascinated with it. Um, but for me, obviously, it's, it's an area to, for, to acquire more to help others flourish. Um, that's always the way that I've seen it. I mean, in my life, there's not really things I think, oh, I wish I had this, or material things mean sort of very little to me. Uh, although, you know, they're nice to have, but they don't really hold a lot of value um, for, you know, your health, uh, life balance kind of thing. Um, so have you got any other books in the making? or? Yeah. So the six you don't know about are co-written or ghostwritten. Um, the next, book I have coming out June the 6th is called I'm Worth More, Realise Your Value, Unleash Your Potential. I've just agreed with my publisher today 
Um, my next book after that, because I've got uncontacted before, I think, with them, which is called Opportunity, Seize the Day, Win at Life. So you can see how I've gone from property to business to leverage to money to general life help so that I can reach more people because that's important to me, Russ. Um, yeah. And all those subjects, I think, for me, have great interest to myself. So I only, there are plenty of people who are really brilliant researchers. They have a re three-year research project, and they write about that. And in a way, I admire that. But I write about stuff I know, I've done, and I've experienced myself. I've got out of debt. I've been in debt. I've hated money. I've been envious of the rich. And then I've changed my mentality around money, and I've made money, and I've given money away, and I have a good relationship with money, a love affair with money, instead of a, a weird relationship with money. Life Leverage, I've built a company which has 81 staff in the office and probably the same again that we that are outsourcers or trainers. And I've managed to get out of the office. I don't spend time in the office. I sort of work around the world. So for me, it's really important. My books aren't research projects. They're things I've done. And I had to battle my own self-worth issues, being a, an overweight kid and a struggling artist. They kept me in their head. And only when I was able to sort of fix my self-worth, which, by the way, is an ongoing fix, because you can fix it, feel good about yourself, and then you make a mistake, or, you know, like something happens to you, and it can dent your confidence a bit. I analogize it in the book to, like, a battery gauge. It's always, you know, filling, emptying. One day you've got no charge, another day you're full charge. Um, yeah, so the book's at the, in the pipeline. My latest book that's out is called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. My next book, which is out June the 6th, is called I'm Worth More, Realize Your Value, Unleash Your Potential, which I think is my greatest book in terms of the good that it can do in the world. I don't care who you are. Increasing your self-worth is going to give you benefit in your family, in the raising of your kids, in your job, asking for a salary raise, going out there and buying a few properties when you think, oh, I've missed the boat, or you think, I don't know how to do it. Where does an increase in self-worth not help your life? So yeah, that's exactly. what yeah, I mean, some of those titles really are really appealing to myself, um, and I think they'll be appealing to a lot of people. As you said, you're not just targeting on property, you're also targeting on, on, on deeper problems yeah. that people actually have inside of themselves. And a lot of people have all these sort of stumbling blocks and obstacles that they can't seem to get over, and all of these kind of books and, and content help them to realise yeah. they can they can do it. It's just sort of mindset again. Yeah. Um, it's just moving on. So also you've got your podcasts. You've got a disruptive entrepreneur um, and your second one called Money. Um, so for the viewers at home, can you tell, tell us the purpose of these podcasts and what you know, who you're trying to help uh, and what you hope to achieve? Yeah, so with the disruptive entrepreneur, it's for start up and scale up entrepreneurs, somebody who wants to start a business or grow a business in any field. Uh, that is who that podcast is for. Uh, and I have a, a combination of my own content, sales, marketing, growing a business, hiring, recruitment, finance, all of that stuff. Um, you know, what I'm actually living and breathing every day, not research projects of stuff I've not done, stuff I've done myself that's so important to me. And then also I interview really great, cool, interesting people. I interviewed a Playboy model last week. I interviewed um, Sam Warburton, who was captain of British and Irish Lions twice. Um, and um, probably, I think the most capped Wales rugby player ever. I'm interviewing Bernie Eccleston. I've got three billionaires lined up. I've interviewed Sir Jackie Stewart. I've interviewed... David Ike, I've interviewed all sorts of people in very different areas. And that, that um, Kevin Clifton, Aston Merigold of JLS. So I, I've merged that concept in. And then my podcast, The Money, is anyone who wants to make more money, anyone who's got a 
good or a bad relationship with money. Anyone who's skint and wants to get out of debt. And, you know, I, I want to bring more balanced and more upside education around money in the world. Because, you know, you, you said earlier, Russ, you know, material items don't really have any value to me. Um, and I think a lot of people feel like being a materialist is kind of bad and, and they'll be judged. Um, well, I have a Ferrari Testarossa, which I dreamed of having all through my childhood. And I look at that piece of art, and that is a piece of art. And I know that there's been great joy and passion in the creation of that with, you know, the designers and the builders. And I get to enjoy that which makes me feel progress and passion. And then that probably transmutes into the passionate work that I do. And then when I drive it and other people are like, look at the car and it gets then enthused, like a Patek Philippe watch might that you hand on to the next generation of your children or whatever. I want to teach people that when you spend money on things, that is not wasted money. Oh, well, you should have given it to charity. Well, if you're spending money on a Patek Philippe watch, there's a watchmaker who made that who's got to pay his mortgage and got to put food on the table for his kids and you've helped do that. I'll get that. And, you know, the, the people don't get that money is not zero sum. They think, oh, there's a fiver. That's been exchanged. That's it. I've, I've taken from someone else. No, money is in constant flow. The word currency means to flow. And so, yeah, the Money Podcast is like a, 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 a deep exploration of really understanding what money is. You cannot master what you do not measure. And you cannot master what you do not understand. And most people in the planet, they do not understand money. They don't know what it means. They don't know the purpose of it. They don't know the four definitions of it. They don't know how to use it. They judge it. They put meaning on it. And, yeah, that's what my podcast aims to change. Yeah, I think it's, it's a massive problem, to be honest with you, in the world. I mean, we sort of grow up with, with like a cycle of you go to school, you get a job, college, on university, get a job. It's kind of like your life's already plotted out and this is how we are supposed to live it. But I think, yeah, teaching something like what you, you speak of, like should be really taught in schools and things like that, to yeah. be honest with you. Um, I think it would, it would change the world. Um, also, the, the name for your podcast, Money, I thought was very clever because um, obviously if anyone's searching online for money podcasts, or then you're going to pop up top. So I thought that was quite a, quite a clever, sim- simple, clever pick if you don't yeah. mind um i think about those things i think it's important i think you could be too clever sometimes with what you call books and podcasts yeah I, yeah so mm. thank you for and obviously you've interviewed quite a high caliber of people um on your shows and you've throughout your life has any sort of opportunities come out of these um just for being in close yeah. i've become really good friends with many of the guests that i've interviewed uh, which for me is the greatest thing in the world uh, jake wood who's on Max Brang on EastEnders has invited me to go and play in him and his mates poker night. It's a bit scary, but I'm going to do it. I was having dinner with him just a few days ago, and Ricky Wilde is one of his friends. who's Kim Wilde's sister, brother. Um, Kim Wilde, obviously famous, really famous um, pop singer, and the people that they know that they're introducing me to, and I'm helping them with their podcast, and become really good mates with Kevin Clifton, and mentoring him in his property business. And, yeah, I mean... And I could give you a hundred of those. Well, no, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I could give you a dozen of those stories. I don't want to sit here like, you know, name dropping for the sake of it. You asked the question, but yeah, massive opportunities. Mm. Latent, i.e. some I think not yet, but later. Um, Not all, you know, sometimes you do your interview, you go home. That's it. That's cool. 
um, but others you, you really become really well connected with. Mm. And that for me, one of the most fun parts of life. And yeah, that's why I don't run sponsored ads or anything like that on my podcast. I just want people to get good information because I get so much benefit out of it. I don't need the money. And that's a nice position to be in. Mm. So I picked up on you said, obviously, it's a bit scary, the poker, going to the poker game and meeting them people. But I wouldn't have imagined you to be scared of anything in, in sort yeah. of that realm. Yeah, I, um, I believe it's a complete fallacy. If anyone looks at someone who they deem to be successful or whatever and feels like they, you know, they've got it made and you know, they don't have fears, um, I, I can stand on the stage in front of thousands of people and, and speak for 47 hours straight, but put me in a circle of people, especially people I admire, in a social situation, I find that scary. I want people to like me. Um, so, I, you know, like I'm a conscious of that. And yeah, I, I try and get myself uncomfortable a lot. I mean, I'm not scared about playing poker and losing the money. I'll lose. I'm no good at poker, but it'd be a hundred quid I'll lose. Uh, you know, it's like I'm, I've been invited by a very famous person to go and be in the poker night where really good mates who've hung out for years and have done that to me is scary. That's their world. And they've invited me in. And I'm up for like, that's quite a privilege. And scary. Um, yeah, you know, I think I was quite introverted as an artist, and I think there's still a bit of that in me. Uh, I want people to like me, so I don't want them to have a bad experience with me. I think I have a little bit of fear about that. Um, but one thing I am prepared to do is get myself uncomfortable, and I've found that that gives you great reward as an entrepreneur, getting uncomfortable. I, I've met, met Arnold Schwarzenegger, spent a fair bit of time with him, I was so scared. Uh, but he was just a normal guy, and a really nice guy, just like, like you'd hope. But you, you, you have this vision that these people are ominous or, you know, like they're just genetically superior or they don't have fears. Nah, not true. Um, I, I've met, you know, I, I, someone very famous I know very well. He's got so many insecurities. You'd never know. Because I think we all are. I think that's a, a lot of problem for many people as well, that they, an opportunity in life comes up and then they overthink it and they prevent themselves from going or they stop them going because of this, this could happen. They over, they worry. Whereas I think we should also, another skill we should be taught is how to sort of just, just go for it and overcome it, take action when, when something does make us afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where you get the most growth and that's where you get the, the greatest feeling of elation. You know, when you overcome something difficult and those moments, they come disguised in challenge and problem. Um, there was, Obviously, there's a couple of really successful entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, were asked to write on a piece of paper what was the one thing that um, was key to the success. Um, if I was to ask you that, Rob, what, what would you say? I'd say surround yourself with smarter people than you. Good answer. Me too. <laughs> Very good answer. Uh, now, basically, finishing off with a final question. Um, it's it's one, one I ask all of my guests who come on Most Mogul. Um, is who would you consider to be the most mobile entrepreneur? Now, this is someone whose business acumen or achievements have impressed you over the years. There are so many. How do you choose one? I'm going to say Dr. John Demartini because, one, I think you could get him on your show. Two, he's not a name that is the classic Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Steve Jobs. Three, he's impacted my life. Um, because he's, um, I've interviewed him on my podcast. I'm doing it again next week. 
Um, his work has helped me. Um, I'm looking to strike a deal with him with a lot of his um, back catalogue, which hopefully will come off. So um, if you can get him on your show, I think he will blow your mind. Lovely. Cheers. Well, uh, that's it for today. That's all. So I just want to say thank you for coming on the show, Rob, giving up your time, uh, sharing your story and insights. Uh, you know, a lot of them pearls of wisdom with the most mobile audience. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Wish you all the best for the future. This concludes our show for today. If you want to get in on our interviews first in the future, then smash the subscribe button and please share this in your favorite social media. Thank you. Goodbye and God bless.